Welcome everyone to another episode of Full Definition, where we're exploring the fullness of life that Jesus said he came to give everyone who would put their faith in him. Amazing. And here at FT, what we do is we break that down. We kind of look at what that really looks like in our everyday lives and how we can get more of that each day. So amazing. Now, guys, I'm so excited to talk about this one because people who know me know that this is one of my favorite things to talk about. And what we're talking about here is self-control. Woo! Yeah, that's right. Self-control. Now, what is self-control? I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> it's the ability to control ourselves, our whole beings. And we need self-control in situations where we have an inclination towards a particular path, towards a particular choice, and it's accessible. But we want to choose something different. And you may be thinking, well, oh, why would I need to do that? <laughs> you know what? I'm sure if we think about it, there's a whole lot of people that we wish would control themselves, you know? It's easy to kind of see other people and think, oh, why don't they do this? Why don't they behave in that way? And that's the stuff we like to talk about. You know, let's be honest. We see a video, someone does something, and we're all like, ooh, they shouldn't have done that. They should have behaved like this. But how often do we reflect on our own behavior and think about what we do? You know, that, that's the thing. Now, I don't know about you, but... For me, I know that I have done some things that I didn't want to do. And I use those words on purpose. See, it's not that I did something and then later reflected on it and then regretted doing it. No, 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 no. That, that's, that's not what I did. What I'm saying is, before I actually did it, I already knew that I didn't want to do it. But for some reason... I still went ahead and did it anyway. And I'm like, what? Why do I do that? I don't know whether that happens to you or not. <laughs> it can be anything, like staying up late to watch five episodes of TV when you just wanted to watch one, or eating a whole packet of biscuits when you just went to get one. Or maybe we find our minds running out of control down a specific train of thought that we know is gonna cause us to spiral into a state of fear, anxiety, anger, self-loathing, depression, or any other unhealthy state of mind. And then it causes us to dwell in that state. Now, we don't want to enter into that space at all. But for some reason, once that train of thought gets triggered, we can't seem to do anything about it. And so what happens when we don't have self-control is that we live at the mercy of these forces that seem to be able to drive us to do things that we already know we don't want to do. And this is why we need self-control. And guess what? It is available. That is some fantastic news. So, I mean, let's get into it. How do we get self-control? You might be thinking, all we need to do is make a resolution and tell ourselves we're going to stick to this. And I know many people, including myself, who have made New Year's resolutions at some point in their lives and have all failed to keep them. So that doesn't work. Maybe it lasts for a week, a month, but somehow we're not able to keep to it. Or you might be thinking, we just need to educate ourselves. Once we're more enlightened about a topic, then we can exercise self-control by making 
a more informed decision. See, the problem with that is that if it were true, we'd all be doing it. I'm willing to believe that many of us have heard about how bad processed sugar is for our health. And yet we still buy these sweet treats and eat them. <laughs> I buy sweet treats. And you see, the problem is that if education was enough, if information was enough to cause us to exercise self-control and change our behavior, then all of us would have stopped buying these sweet treats. And most of these companies that make them will be out of business. But hey, they're still here and we still buy them. So that doesn't work either. You see, the issue is not that we don't know how to make a resolution or we don't have enough information. No, 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 that's not it. The issue that I've found from my own experience is that I don't have enough strength to sustain my commitment to my resolution on a long-term basis, right? Essentially, I get tired and it's easier for me to just simply give in and fall back into my old habits. So. The question is, how do we get lasting self-control that doesn't wear us out? Right? Okay, check this out. Listen up. The first thing we got to do is prepare ourselves. And the way we do that is by humbling ourselves. And that may sound scary or difficult, but it's not. Let me break that down. The way we humble ourselves is simply by admitting it, okay? We got to be able to admit that we need help with self-control in certain areas of our lives. And we can start by admitting it to ourselves. I need help. And then getting ourselves to the point where it's actually like, you know what? I'm ready to receive the help that I need. That's all. So it's not, it's not a, some big, lofty ideal that we have to sort of attain. Yeah, no, no, nothing like that. It's just simply be honest. Be honest with yourself. You can be honest to a friend, who, you know, who you trust, who's close. And once you're ready, there are then just three simple steps to take. One, you have to invite Jesus into your life. There's just no other way for this to be sustainable. You have to know God for yourself and have faith in him. Two. You have to equip yourself with knowledge. And three, you have to set your will. And I'm going to go into all these things, but I think the best way to do it is to look at a story. I love stories. And this particular story about Daniel, I love so much. I'm going to summarize it, basically. Daniel, this is many, many years ago, in the time of the kingdom of Babylon, when he was being ruled by a king called Nebuchadnezzar. And he raided and completely decimated the kingdom of Judah, which was part of Israel in those days. And so Daniel, along with many other people, were captured and taken back to Babylon. And Daniel and three of his friends, and some others of course, were selected especially to attend the king's college and to undergo a three-year training course in literature, language, and all the sort of culture of Babylon. And at the end of the three years, they would be evaluated by the king. And if they passed, they would enter into the king's service. And in Daniel chapter 1, we're told that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he actually went and sought permission from the chief official who was set over him to not defile himself in this way. 
And so he negotiated with him and said, look, give us water and give us other food, vegetables. And the official initially refused. And he said, look, you're, you're going to put me in trouble. But Daniel convinced him and said, okay, let's test it out. Let's try it for 10 days. And you evaluate our appearance. And, you know, if we're looking good, if we're looking healthy, then let us continue. And if we're not, then we'll go back to eating the king's food. And it turned out well for Daniel and his friends. But you see, we really need to look at the context of this story and understand who Daniel is and where he is to see how tempting a situation he was in. Because he had just been captured, right? So this was not like a little holiday or, you know, he applied to the university in the next country and then had a scholarship. No, no. He was captured. He's probably lost family, been separated from the ones that are still alive, forcibly, and drafted into this course to learn some other language, learn some other culture, and everything is imposed on him. They even change his name. So you can imagine the whole situation and just how devastating it must have been. And then you get thrown at you all this food, royal food royal wine. So it'd have been the best of the best of the best of the food and wine in Babylon at the time. And the temptation is just to sort of lose yourself in the pleasure and be like, well, you know what? I mean, I might as well make the most of this situation because, hey, I've suffered enough already. And this is, this is life making it up to me. And, you know, he would just get drunk and go eating and partying all the time. But no, he resolved something and we don't know what, but something about some part of the processing and preparing of that food meant that it would conflict with his relationship with God. It would in interfere with it. That's what the defiling meant. And so he resolved, he set his will and said, I will not do this. No matter how tempting it is, no matter what the situation is, I will not do this. Amazing, right? Like, so how was Daniel able to exercise such great self-control under extremely difficult and tempting circumstances? It's those three steps. See, the first one, know God. You see, the way available to us now to know God is through Jesus, by inviting Jesus into your heart. Jesus said this, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way to the Father. And why do we need to know God? If you look at Daniel's story, how did he know to stay away from that food? That it wasn't good for him. It's because of his relationship with God. God gives us wisdom to know what's right, what's good for us. And so we need that in our lives. That's how we walk this journey of living life to the full. And the other thing is, like I said before, this is the only way it's sustainable. You see, when you invite Jesus into your heart, he, he doesn't come there physically, <laughs> no, um, but it's spiritual. So he comes in to live in your heart by his spirit. And there is this list that we read in the Bible called the fruit of the spirit and self-control is the last one. You mean, in, in, my, in my opinion, self-control is the most underrated fruit of the spirit. Oh my goodness, we need self-control. It's so good for us, and it doesn't get enough airtime. Definitely not enough. All right, so self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God. Jesus said this himself in John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. He said this, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. 
That basically means like, if you invite me into your heart, I will come in and we'll start this beautiful, intimate relationship. And we'll get to know each other. Amazing. Then he goes on to say, as a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. That's Jesus. You are the branches. That's us. He said, the one who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, that means if you're separated from Jesus, you can do nothing. So you see, the reason why it's sustainable and why it's so beautiful is that we don't have to exert ourselves and, you know, make all this effort and try to keep ourselves to our word and our commitment and all this kind of stuff and then find that it's not sustainable. No, we don't have to do any of that. Just by continuing to build and grow and invest in our relationship with Jesus, as a consequence, as a byproduct of that connection to him, we get self-control. It's beautiful. It's just like any branch on a tree doesn't need to like exert energy to like, you know, uh, grow the fruit and finally, boom, there's a fruit. No, just by virtue of being connected, it gets the nutrition it needs. And in the right season, boom, there's fruit. And so that's why it's sustainable. And every time, every season, every time you need it, every time it's there, you've got self-control. And so once you're connected to Jesus, being connected to Jesus is the only way it's sustainable. So guys, definitely, if you haven't done that first step, invite Jesus into your heart. And then you get all this. And this is just one out of the nine fruit of the Spirit. It is so good. And then on to step two, equip ourselves with knowledge. You see, it's so important that we do this because we must know what is good and what is bad and what is true and what is untrue. Those two things are so important, right? And we must also let God be our compass. This is why step one is so important because if we, for example, let society guide us, then it creates a problem because societies change over time, sometimes very quickly, sometimes very slowly, but they do change. And what society once thought was right can now be thought as wrong and vice versa. But the good thing is God is not like that. No, he's the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if God said something was wrong 2,000 years ago, guess what? It's still wrong today. And tomorrow, it's still going to be wrong. And if he said something was right all those years ago, it's right today. And tomorrow, it will still be right. You see... Following Jesus, we have the perfect frame of reference for our lives. And we don't have to kind of worry about, am I keeping an eye on what society's frame of reference is? And now that they now think this is in and that's out, oh crap, I have to sort of switch and adjust myself and twist myself to make sure I kind of fit into this new ideal of what everyone should... No, no, no. None of that. We don't have to do any of that. The goalpost is fixed. The objective is fixed. The reference is fixed. And it stays the same. And that way we can plot our course through life. Fantastic. And it has always been important to know the truth. And it is still important today to know the truth. Maybe you've heard over and over again, spoken over you, this is how you are. You're never going to change. You're never going to be able to do anything different. And then suddenly you read the Bible and you see that actually Jesus says, if he sets you free, then you're free indeed. And you can change and you can be transformed. And you're like, hold on a minute. Okay, that's the truth. And I've been hearing lies all this time. Now that I know the truth, my attitude is different. 
my approach is different. And I can then go into step three, equipped with the truth. I can set my will. And that's so important. We need to set our, we still need to engage our will. We still need to want to be self-controlled. <laughs> it's that thing of being ready to receive it and wanting to receive the help. So once we set our will, I, you know, Daniel was like, I will not be defiled in this way. He set his will. And why do we need to set our will? You see, because Jesus, when he comes into relationship with you, he doesn't impose himself on you. He doesn't just force the fruit to grow. No, he actually wants you to, to choose that. And so that is the signal. That's the sort of like action, the, the heart posture, if you like, towards Jesus to say, I really want you to help me grow this fruit. And Jesus is going to be like, all right, here it comes. <laughs> You know, maybe you're listening and you're thinking, actually, you know what? This doesn't sound like it's for me because I'm good. I'm quite happy to dance to the music of my body. And you know what? Maybe that's true right now. But how about when the music changes? You see, it's not an if the music changes. This is life. Life happens to all of us. When the music changes and you don't like that tune, then you'll find that you need to be able to make different choices and that capacity is just not there. And that's why self-control is the most underrated fruit of the spirit. I mean, it's not the greatest, right? Love is amazing. But self-control, oh, yo, guys. I mean, so many benefits. First off, the self-control that comes from knowing God, from having that relationship with Jesus, it helps you become in a crisis. Yo, check this out. Daniel, that same Daniel I told you a story about earlier, he faced a genuine crisis. Okay, picture this, picture this. You are now one of the top government officials in the whole country. And you're sitting down in your office, getting on with your governmental duties and all that kind of stuff. And suddenly, someone from the army comes in and tells you there is an execution order for every single government official in the whole country. And you're like, what? I was just sitting here and doing my job. What happened? And the instinctual reaction there is sort of fear, panic, confusion. Try to maybe fight off the guard. Maybe try and protect yourself or, or anything like that. But no, Daniel actually just said to the guy, okay, don't kill us. Don't kill anyone. Tell me why the king has issued this decree. And the army guy told him and he said, okay, tell the king that... I need time to do what he has asked one of us to do. Why did Daniel have such composure? Why was he able to exercise such self-control in that moment? It's because he knew that what the king had asked one of them to do, which was to tell the king the king's dream and its interpretation, could only be done by God. And he was like, well, guess what? I know God, so I'm going to ask. <laughs> Just give me time. And so, like... Knowing God allowed Daniel to be able to choose composure in that moment. And he was able to do what the king asked, and he saved not just himself, but every other government official, everyone, even those who didn't like him. You know, it might just be that you've just received some really major news, and, you know, you're in a position where people are depending on you. Maybe you're leading a team at work, or you're leading a company, you're the CEO, or it's your family. You have to lead your family through the crisis. You know, you have to chart the course. And you're feeling that 
weight of responsibility and you want to sort of maintain composure. But the amazing thing is that just by being connected to God and we get that self-control and we can actually take our crisis to him and ask him for help. And he helps us just like he did for Daniel. He gave Daniel the dream of the king and the interpretation. And so whatever crisis you're going through, instead of sort of being thrown around by all the waves and tossing and turning of everything that's going on, it's like, no, actually, I I can maintain this composure and then take the situation to God. And God is amazing. He loves me. He loves you. And he will help you in whatever you're going through. He might give you a solution that helps you solve the problem, or he might give you supernatural peace and joy in the midst of what's going on. Whatever it is, God will do something that will definitely help and make the situation better than it was before he got involved. And the other benefit of self-control is this. It helps us to be meek in management. What do I mean by that? You see, when most people hear the word meek, they think of maybe a pushover. But actually, if we look at the original meaning of the word, it is someone who is gentle with an extraordinary amount of power and authority. And that's exactly what self-control enables us to do, to choose to be gentle with our authority, with our influence. There was a moment in Jesus' life when he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. One of the 12 disciples came and betrayed him. And Peter, another one of his disciples, took a sword and attacked one of the people in the crowd who came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus stopped him and said, no, no violence. Don't you know that people who take up a sword will also perish by the sword? Jesus said something remarkable to him. He said, right now, I can call down a legion of angels to fight for me if I wanted. That is authority. I bet you... It is not going to take a legion to defeat all those people that came to arrest Jesus. Probably just one angel is enough. But Jesus was like, no, I can call down a legion right now. I have the authority. But because Jesus had spent time praying to God and understanding God's will, he knew what the right thing to choose was. And so unlike Peter, he didn't respond in anger to being betrayed by one of his closest friends. No, he chose to control his authority and submit his will to what God wanted him to do. Amazing. You see, there's a verse in Daniel later on that that says, those who know their God will do great exploits. And when I read that verse, I was like, wow, this is it. This is it. Like great exploits. When we think about great exploits, often we think about someone who is like strong and, you know, able to like conquer a whole city or a whole nation or something like that. You know, those are the kind of things that I used to think about. But now when I'm reading this again, I'm like, no, I think this is going to be something like great forgiveness, great love, great patience. You're going to be like, what? How can a human being love so extraordinarily? You're going to be like, this is phenomenal. Those are the kind of exploits that you can do when you know God, because you're going to be like, you know what? No, No matter what, I've got this joy. You're like, where's that joy coming from? It's like, whoa, that's great. (laughs) And this is what Jesus did right here. This is a great exploit. It's like, this is how you, with so much self-control, restrain the authority that you have and love instead. And it's the same thing that he did on the cross when he was 
crucified, the people who were hurling abuse at him and were like, you know, jeering and taunting him, he was like, no, Father, forgive them. That is a great exploit. You're like, what? Is he genuinely praying for forgiveness for the people who are killing him right now, like live? Whoa, that's incredible. Great exploits. And he teaches us and helps us. He gives us the strength by being connected to him and this fruit growing naturally in, in our lives. He gives us the strength to do exactly the same. You know, maybe we're in a situation at work where we've had someone who's been attacking us and undermining us and made us their enemy and trying to maybe even take credit for our work. And then suddenly we find ourselves in a position of authority over them and then we're faced with a choice. What do we do? How do we handle this authority that we now have over our enemy? And the temptation is to just kind of be like, okay, you know what? It's payback time. <laughs> Prepare to get steamrolled and destroyed. You know, we could do that. We could expose them. Or we could follow Jesus' example that he set for us and choose to be gentle with our authority. Maybe find a way to approach the situation that helps the other person grow and actually builds them up and, you know, helps them correct their behavior and maybe improve future relationships with other people. Now, we may not all be in positions of authority, but the one thing we do all have is influence over other people. And the way we do this is with our words. The Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. We can change people's lives by what we say, either for good or for bad. We have the ability to build people up or tear them down. And the temptation nowadays is, you know, when someone does something bad to us, when we have a bad experience with someone, you know, we just throw them out to the social media jungle and just be like, hey, this is what this person did. And then you just, everybody else just kind of rips into them. And that can be really devastating. Whereas Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. So even the guys that come against us, that attack us, that treat us badly, we're still to show them love. And that doesn't mean like you just roll over and let anybody do anything, you, anything they want to you. No, not at all. But actually, it's that the way in which we respond, the way in which we correct, the way in which we actually tell the truth, Everything is intended to build up and not tear down, not destroy. And having that self-control allows us to take a step back and then choose to respond in love. So good. There are so many benefits to self-control, but I'm only going to talk about one more. And that is that it helps us be fortified in a fight. Here's what I mean. Sometimes it can feel like we're in a fight with intrusive thoughts in our minds or just impulses within ourselves that we feel we're battling against. And what self-control does is it gives us resistance. It builds up this resistance. It helps us to be fortified against these outside forces or inside forces that we deal with in our lives in everyday circumstances. I love what it says in Proverbs Chapter 25, verse 28, it says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. And that's it. It's like, without self-control, we can be influenced by all these forces, all these thoughts, all these things that come from all kinds of directions and influence us to do stuff. But once we have self-control, boom, the walls are up. We are fortified. And it's like, all right throw it at me. What you got? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you, you can now 
you can now brush that off. That thing that used to kind of like just nice sneak in and like take you on a ride. You're now like, ha, doesn't even leave a scratch. Check it out. Mm, that's right. <laughs> so good. But you know, maybe maybe you're listening and you're like, you know what? I'm in a different place. I've I've been through all this stuff. I I've had the self control. I I have the connection with Jesus, and it was going so well. But somehow I fell off the wagon. You know what? There's something you need to know about Jesus. Well, there's so many things to know about Jesus. But there's one thing that I think is super important that you know in this moment right now, and it's this: Jesus is full of grace and truth. That is such good news. Because you know what? When Jesus comes into your life and he starts to work in your life and you just see all this transformation going on and then something happens and you fall off the wagon, Jesus is not going, oh, how could you do that? No, Jesus is like, come on, let's keep going. He's got so much grace. You know, when when Jesus was in the garden in Gethsemane and he was just before he was uh, arrested uh, to be taken away to be crucified, he asked his, his, his disciples, stay and pray with me. And they slept. And Jesus came to them and he was like, come on, guys, pray with me. He didn't go, oh, how could you fall asleep? You know, <laughs> Grace. Jesus is so good. He's filled with grace and truth. Jesus is always real with us. He's real with you. You're never going to get him like, you know, trying to play around with his words or anything like that. No, no, no. He's straight up. So it's the best place to be with Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. And there are things that we can do to help ourselves on this journey of self-control with Jesus. Just a few things. One, keep our guard up. We just need to be watchful, be mindful. If we notice ourselves kind of sliding back into old habits, let's just kind of reaffirm that decision. Reset our will to be like, okay, I'm not going to do that. And then maybe taking away some of the things in our environment that have made it easy for us to make those old choices in the past just as a way of demonstrating our resetting of our will, right? And making it a bit easier to choose the new path. And then we just ask for more help. We just, you know, say to Jesus again, I need some more help, please. And then, boom, he's going to help us out. The other thing is celebrate the victories. Every time we notice that, oh, we now have more self-control over a certain thing that used to have control over us, woo! That is such good news. Celebrate. Be like, yeah, come on. You know, throw a party, get friends together and be like, woo, I'm free from this. Yup, yup. Anyway, um, so that is just so amazing. The other thing is like self-control is like a muscle in our body. Exercise. I love going to the gym. I love going to the gym. But when the pandemic hit, all the gyms shut down temporarily and I just could not go. And then when I got back to the gym, I discovered I was so much weaker <laughs> than I was before it all closed down. But you know, that that's the way it, it kind of works. We, we need to kind of exercise our self-control on the regs, right? So that it remains strong. And so it's just kind of like looking for opportunities in everyday life with the kind of tiny things, you know, biscuit here, sweet there, this kind of stuff to exercise self-control. And then it becomes more natural, you know, in our daily lives. So good. And the last thing is really important as well. Help other people. If we have an area that Jesus has worked in our lives and we've grown in, in self-control, then we can, we can help other people. We can, we can share our experiences with them, encourage them, and also, you know, cheer them on as they, as they continue in this journey with Jesus. 
See, the truth for me is, I know I always need help with self-control. You know, even when, even as I'm growing, I find that there are new challenges, there are new things that I need to develop in, and so some things I've forgotten to keep practicing. Um, and that's why we need grace. We need grace from each other. So if you're helping someone have have grace for them, just as Jesus shows us grace, we should have grace for each other. The more we're able to grow in self-control, the more joy, the more peace, the more love. I mean, it's all interlinked. And we enjoy this sort of fuller life, more in control of ourselves and able to do the things that actually give us life. We'll, we'll be able to rejoice knowing that we've chosen what is good. We're pleased with our choices. We enjoy the benefits. Other people enjoy the benefits of being built up by our words. And, you know, we handle our authority so well. People are blessed by it. Oh, this is just so much. Guys, self-control. Can't, can't hype it up enough. <laughs> so, guys, I hope wherever you are, whatever you're going through in this moment, wherever you need that self-control, know the truth. You have access to Jesus. He will help you if you ask him for help in this area, in any area. And you can be transformed. You can be free. You can live life to the full today. And I pray that that's what we experience. That's what we all experience in Jesus' name. Until next time, guys. Okay.